0: Welcome to the second podcast for Smoke and Mirror, a documentary film about how barbecue reflects America. And our special guest on this edition reflects what we've learned, that barbecue is having this moment in America, but it's actually part of our history, linked to us not only across the country as part of our soul, but particularly here in the South. So we come to you from the States Item Studios in New Orleans with one of the culinary experts in America who will talk about the origins of barbecue, explore the conflicts of race and the enslaved and how barbecue came to us through Native Americans and slaves into the modern consciousness. We'll talk about the cultural disagreements of meat, food production, and as many people will tell you, that barbecue does not come from your local grocery store. So on to our podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Tidmore, and you can always check out our clips at smokeandmirrormovie.com, where we have posted the clip interviewing the founder of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, an expert on barbecue and many other topics, culinary and cocktail. We're so proud to have her here on the program. Liz Williams, I've watched what you've done with this museum It's over the last two decades. It's absolutely miraculous. And I've got to tell you, for our documentary that we've been doing on the history of barbecue, you have really dedicated a lot of your museum resources to talking about barbecue across the South, the different traditions, and the traditions going to the very beginning. And uh, you very brilliantly explain that barbecue is intrinsic to the American experience going back to pre-Columbian times.
1: Oh, yes. Barbecue is so important to the food of the entire country. It's really, really embedded in our DNA almost.
0: What does the word barbecue mean, Liz?
1: Barbecue refers today both to the process and to the finished product. Um, So the process, anything that is slow-cooked over a low fire, mostly flesh, but it now even refers to vegetables. And um, the the finished product is also barbecue.
0: But, of course, the word itself is actually, like many of our great uh, culinary words, tomato, others, is Native American in its roots.
1: That's right, barbacoa. And barbacoa was something that... The word used to describe this process of having uh, green sticks over a fire that held the flesh that was being cooked over it, over the fire. And so from barbacoa, we have now barbecue.
0: Now, uh, you at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum, it's, and, and, and for those that have not visited it, this is a must, must visit when you come to New Orleans. And frankly, for, for a barbecue expert, a pilgrimage, you go in and you have the different states and their culinary traditions. And invariably, since you're talking about the South, you're talking about every state's way of doing barbecue. And I've said barbecue brings us all together in every way except how we barbecue. That's that's the one argument. Is it going to be vinegar? Is it going to be red sauce? Is it going to be th- uh, in the ground? Is it going to be this and that? And uh, you kind of reflect that pretty well in the Southern Food and Beverage Museum. Can you talk about that?
1: Well, I have to give a shout out to Stephen Reichlin, who is the person who really worked with us to make sure that we covered barbecue accurately in every state. So I think that he just knows so much about barbecue, and was able to help us not only understand barbecue in every state, but find artifacts that reflected barbecue in every state. So that's really how, how we did it. But in the process, you can see, as you go from state to state within the museum, how different it is from state to state, how dependent it is on geography, because you cook different things in different places because of what is available there. And um, your woods are going to be different, and all of that is really dependent on the geography. And you see that in, in the museum as you go from, from space to space.
0: Now, Liz Williams, one of the common misconceptions that people come to about barbecue is, well, it's a white redneck thing. But the fact of the matter is, it started off with Native Americans. It was really transferred to African Americans. It's something that is one of the few truly ubiquitous traditions, culinarily and every, and otherwise that we have here in North America.
1: Well, of course, the human tradition of, wow. of cooking and using fire, wasn't just a North American thing. That's something that you're going to find all over the world. But certainly it is something that the way it was uh, over those sticks that gave you smoke as well as heat was something I think that was really an important thing. Um, By
0: putting it in the ground, you mean, and and putting the sticks over, basically. yes, Yes, yes,
1: exactly. But it was something that was Absolutely adopted by the Africans who were here, the people who were, who were brought to America. And then, because it was so much work and took people's time, they were given this task of we like the way this food tastes, but you have to do it because um, we, your people of European descent, aren't going to spend our time doing this. And so, because of that, you have this long, long tradition of barbecue being essentially owned by African Americans.
0: This gets into the whole argument that comes through about what is truly pure barbecue. And, uh, you know, I've, I've got to tell you, for this documentary, we've seen everything from Kermit Ruffin's, uh, as you can see in the clip, making a meatloaf and barbecuing it to, <laughs> to people being over charcoal pits and everything. But in the back of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum, in your beautiful garden, your uh, in your Gumbo Garden, you you actually constructed a, a true in, uh, above-ground, in-ground, pig barbecue pit and just to make sure everybody understands this because it's one of our future clips we're going to be posting the man who did this is quite listed for you is quite literally a rocket scientist
1: yes it was (laughs) it was designed by howard conyers dr howard conyers who is a rocket scientist uh at um uh, Stennis. stennis space center and um he is also from south carolina And has grown up with the tradition of South Carolina barbecue, and so this this special pit is really dedicated to him because, first of all, he designed it, but he also has uh, kept something alive that um, and and been almost the ambassador. Of South Carolina barbecue, he really knows it inside and out.
0: And we're going to be having a clip with uh, Doctor Kendricks coming up on in the in the coming weeks at Southern uh, at at Movie dot com. Of course, you can check out Liz's clip at smokeandmirrormovie.com. dot com. And uh, the way this barbecue is done, this is not hey, let's get the charcoals and put some ribs on. This is this is true as it as it is put forward. Uh, hardcore traditional barbecue with an entire pig lowered into usually it would be in the ground except you've constructed something or Dr. Conyer's constructed something at the museum that is above ground but contains all the traditions of putting in a below ground pit.
1: That's right. all it does is saves your back a little bit because you're <laughs> not you're not working in the ground but um, other than that it's actually the same and um, it's really a very long, low, process once um howard actually um did this overnight at the museum and we had people sleeping in chairs and uh doing all the things you do to have this wonderful wonderful thing happening at the museum the full tradition and um uh you know, it's just not the same when you do it in the middle of the day, even though obviously it is chemically and scientifically the same. There's just something about being so tired because you stayed up all night and everybody smells like smoke and you're telling stories and all of that. And as as much as we could, this replicated the way it is. And um, and, and, uh, and, and, and I think,
0: Liz, I want to get into that because... It, as we've done this documentary, which hasn't just been in New Orleans, our first two, um, uh, of course, clips have been dealing with New Orleans, with the museum, and um, and with Kermit Ruffins. But the we we've been filming in Missouri, and North Carolina, South Carolina, and Texas. And the one consistency you get with barbecue, especially when it's done from the pig, when it's done from the you know the cow, when it's done from the beginning, is that this is a long process. It's a slow process. But it's a process of fellowship that you're basically getting all your friends, family, neighbors, children, grandchildren, second cousin once removed, uh, brother-in-law's friend from uh, from college who has a college roommate who came and is now part of the family after about 16 hours. It is an it, it if one tradition has to encapsulate the Southern idea of hospitality. It's kind of barbecue.
1: Oh, there's no question about it. You have put yourself out to create barbecue, there's just no other way to put it. And it is a way that you pass on the stories of your family and of your your tribe, so to speak, um, overnight because you're together and you have the time and there's not really any other distraction because you're outside at night and nothing else is going on it's It's mostly men who do this, and it is a tradition for men to pass along their their stories and you learn life's lessons and all of those things. it's It's a way to pass on civilization. And that is the part that I think, we forget when we just talk about what the food tastes like? Because the tradition of the barbecue is this whole process, not just the end result.
0: In fact, in our upcoming clip with Dr. Conyers, his greatest worry about uh, the fact that people don't want to engage in barbecue like this and why he has written several books on the subject when he's not designing, you know, rockets that quite literally are going to the moon and, and, and hopefully to Mars... Is the is that this cultural traditions that have been passed down that were passed down to him this oral memory, if we would going back to both you know times of enslavement and pre and pre Columbian times that this could be lost, this chain could be broken,
1: and it's it's a real concern. I mean, this is not just oh, what are we going to lose kind of thing. This is this is real um, that. It is, a, um, it is a very, very time-consuming and labor-intensive thing, and people, as we urbanize, find it more and more difficult to do it.
0: Well, one of the clips that we're going to be um, not only including in the documentary, but actually launching on the website, came with a, a, one of the experts you have at the museum, Byron Bradley. And um, I was hoping we could play, because he gets into this traditional connection uh, very well, play a little bit of that clip and get your reaction to what um, one of your glowing lights at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum has to say. How does that sound, Liz?
1: Sounds good.
2: My name is uh, Chef Byron Bradley. I'm a chef instructor here at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum. I teach Southern favorites cooking classes. I teach the culture of the food along with techniques, and we have fun in these classes. Barbecue is definitely a staple dish in each Southern state, varying whose is the original or the best, depending on the state you're in. But barbecue plays a great role in the history of Southern food in in general. In regards to barbecue, the simplest thing I I could teach a person is that barbecue was originated thousands and thousands of years ago, No one has any direct origin, but the premise and how barbecue was created was always the same. A hole in the ground that made it a lot easier to cook something that was huge. The politics as to how it got outside of the indigenous people to more commonly used ways of cooking came about in the history of this country and slavery and in the appreciation for what came from these indigenous cultures. The colonizing cultures appreciated the methods and the food that came from barbecuing. Barbecues' ability to bring people together has been the premise of barbecue from the beginning, solely because of how long it takes to barbecue something. Traditional methods and traditional recipes span from four to six to eight hours at a time. So you can imagine for families that were cooking barbecue all together, this was a great time to you know have family discussions and just bond with the people that you were cooking with because it took so long. So it was, it's truly an aesthetic. The process of barbecuing has grown, but it still stayed the same, You know that people bond over barbecue because of the time that it takes to do it properly.
0: Well, Liz, Byron pretty much covers all the different topics that we were getting at. And uh, he's in, I, I, at the museum, um, uh, Byron teaches actually traditional Southern cooking. Can you talk about what he does and how to try to keep these traditions alive?
1: Well, he talks mostly about um, or teaches mostly the traditions of Southern cooking. Um, but that really is very broadly interpreted. So one of the wonderful things that I remember him cooking is making fried conch and, um, talking about the Caribbean traditions and how the Caribbean traditions can be found all throughout, not only the Caribbean, but throughout Florida, any place where you can find conch. And, um, uh, he is just really, um, very knowledgeable about the history, how it all got put together, but he's also a chef. So he also knows how to make it taste good. It's not just the story, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and his classes are fantastic. And I've got to tell you he he stood over the pit. um you can see that in the clip, and basically explains, as w- w- with some of our other footage. How the, uh, how the pig goes in, what goes in, how this connects, but really connects how key barbecue is in the African-American tradition. This is something Kermit Ruffin's brought up pretty much at a time, even even the argument that Congo Square in New Orleans, the birthplace of uh, the bambula, which leads to jazz and rock and roll, not the birthplace, but the place that was transferred by oral traditions, what were they doing on Sunday afternoons, the Sunday afternoons, the slave head off? Well, they had a market, but most importantly, in the back of the French Quarter, uh, we call it today the you know back of town, the floodplain that they were given the dance on. What were they doing? They were barbecuing. It's one of the points he makes. It's uh, that Kermit makes it's, this was something they they had they would learned. They were cooking for people as in, in on a Sunday as they did this, and that's most of American music came from that tradition of that. And so to this day the connection between music and barbecue and food in general, but in barbecue in particular is so huge.
1: Right. And it's the sort of thing that also, um, was, and one of the things we really haven't talked about is that tending the fire was really an art form because you had to keep that fire slow and it had to be steady. So even though, um, It's the food begins to cook on its own, and you don't necessarily have to watch that. You have to watch the fire all the time. And so, just being able to tend the fire meant that you couldn't leave. So, you were all together, and music was a great way to pass the time.
0: And uh, you also had a, and if I can uh, take it a Big Boss. So of course, we have Kermit Ruffins talking about this and how the, the connection of music and barbecue, and he how he has brought that at the mother-in-law lounge. But it's worth noting that Kermit wasn't the first person to do this. I mean, obviously, he is the Kermit Ruffins of the barbecue swingers. But you were there at the beginning of the Mother-in-Law Lounge and you saw and, 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 and helped, was one of the people that kind of helped promote uh, uh, this to people walking in the Treme and this whole connection and tradition. And I, I thought if you could uh, talk about Ernie uh, Cato and what, what, how that used to, how that Mother-in-Law Lounge started and how food was part of it from the beginning.
1: Well, <laughs> it's really, it was really um, interesting. Well, we um, were friendly with Antoinette. Ernie's wife. That was Ernie's wife. And so, because of, and we lived on Esplanade, uh, right at the corner of um, about a block from uh, Claiborne. So, we were within a stone's throw of. with the opening of the mother-in-law lounge. And we watched as Antoinette and Ernie really worked on putting it together and everything. And then sometimes because we had a big porch on Esplanade when Ernie would want to sort of drum up some business and kind of have something fun to do, he would put an extension cord through our window on the front porch and he would use it as a stage and actually sing and play, so that people could kind of gather around to go down to to the lounge.
0: And you know, for those that don't know this and that would listen to the podcast, obviously that's the song "Mother in Law," um, and it it's Ernie Cato created this. And he had cooking there from the very beginning, and that's one of the things Kermit remembers growing up as he, he, he was talking, and, and that that how that place connected with him and his tradition and, and becoming a famed jazz musician. So.
1: Yes, it was. Uh, it was really. Uh, it was a. It was always a fun hopping place, and but when it was first first starting, you know, there was the need to drum up business, which of course. Is uh, the way every business starts, and so we feel like we were a little contributor to letting our front porch—and goodness, with well, a great honor of having Ernie Cato perform on your front porch—you know, <laughs> it's great.
0: Liz Williams of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum. Um, this is I, I, for those that haven't visited it, of course. Uh, for those around the country that are listening to this, <clears throat> it's on. It's in a historic. Marketplace that we had here in New Orleans on a, pl- on, a on what used to be called Dryad Street is now called Aretha Castle Hadley after a famed civil rights leader, but it's it's a it's a brilliant thoroughfare and it's um it itself when you walk in you're you're getting every type of food tradition that comes through and every type most importantly because it's also the museum of the American cocktail and I wanted to to get I mean you 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 not only talk about barbecue which is Pretty much you got every barbecue pit ever envisioned when you go in. I mean, I, I, she's laughing because she knows I'm telling the truth. Where you found some of these barbecue uh, devices, I have no idea. But uh, I mean, but you've also got the, the original bar from Brewing's restaurant, which was one of the oldest restaurants in the United States. You've got you've got an abstinence bar. You've got uh, the stuff from the beginning of uh, uh, Popeye's fried chicken and so many other elements. And, and, and what I find fascinating, too, is this connection of music and food in the middle you have essentially the remains, I I call it recreation, but you actually got some of the original pieces of what was a blues and barbecue joint that that kind of encapsulates this from the Mississippi Delta.
1: Yes, we have um, a sort of recreation of the shed. Now, if you've ever been to the shed, which is in Ocean Springs, there's lots of music that goes on there But the whole thing is made out of of pallets, uh, shipping pallets. And then it originally had a wooden floor. And, of course, it was kind of raised off of the ground. Um, So our recreation is made out of shipping pallets, but also... It has the original wooden floor that actually burned when the shed burned down. Now, you know, every good barbecue joint has to burn down at least once. And if you haven't burned down, there's something wrong, you know.
0: It's <laughs> like, it's like you, you always look at why our barbecue places look like they're falling down. Because, well, I mean, the effort that comes into rebuilding it, you know you, you know this. And actually, I've heard so many barbecue people say that, you know, if you're doing this right, good. I don't care how much safety you have. Sooner or later, it's going to happen. Yeah, But yeah. You, you're getting into this. Barbecue, we, we have a wonderful interview with the winners of the international competition that we're going to be posting in future weeks. Um, and they themselves run a butcher shop and barbecue joint in Texas. And um, one of the points they make is they, they, they reflect a similar worry that you have, that while this is so much of our culture. This is this for them, they call it. It's expanded our family. It is such a, a, a communal experience that we live for it. It's also barbecue, traditional barbecue places where you're cooking in the ground, where you're constantly uh, grilling and it's coming through. That kind of place that was the roots of blues, jazz, and rock and roll. That's an art form that not only is dying, but the actual restaurants themselves are disappearing.
1: You know, if you, if you make a good living at a barbecue with your barbecue joint and you educate your children and they are going off to be lawyers and doctors and accountants and journalists and whatever else they are, you're asking them to say, okay, I'm going to give that up and I'm going to stay up all night, every night, tending this fire and running, running this joint. And it's, it's one of those anathemas, you know, where you almost have killed it by your own success, because even if you inherited it from your, your, you know, the previous generation, your father or whatever, then it, even though you want your child to take it over, do you really I mean, I think um, it's it's a really difficult question. I don't think it's a simple thing. And, of course, technology has made it possible with, with sawdust pellets and all of that kind of stuff to almost totally computerize making the barbecue, which is the same every time. So um, uh, it, it's turning into something totally different where – it only is something that you do um, occasionally, where you say, "Okay, let's let's get the wood and the fire and all of that kind of stuff." And I, I don't think it's a simple situation. I, I think um, you're you're making somebody do really physically hard work at the same time as you're um, trying to educate them, and you're giving them two messages.
0: It's a prosperity, and let's let's face it, it's it, it's a it has created a middle class out of it, but it's a, it's it's a heavy, hard working class job that comes through, and it's something that you have to love because, frankly, if you didn't love it, you'd probably kill yourself doing it. Um, That's right. I mean, there's there's no side. What has been hopeful to me is I I, I recently. Came back from Mexico, and I've been in northern Mexico, where they this is people forget that many of our cowboy and traditions are actually originally um, northern Mexican words. You know, cowboy being you know vascalros and many uh, of and barbecue, which was of course and uh, um, and a, a Native American traditions. All this comes from that. And what I have seen, I have to say, is the the rise in. Native America is a rise in Hispanic barbecue places that have come in, and they've spread through Texas and all this. and it seems for much the same reason, it's, it's a good sort of way of immigrants integrating, and their kids may be it, but it's, it's keeping it alive from that standpoint. It's a little bit different from the Scotch-Irish and European traditions and what we've seen in the South, but it's very much much uh, the same kind of environment and commitment to long-term cooking.
1: Well, that's,
0: that's encouraging. Yeah. Um. <laughs> something. That's the only way we can say it. Um, Liz Williams of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum. I, I, I can't let you go uh, without a couple things. One is talking about how your museum not only is dedicated to barbecue and food, but it's dedicated to something, of course, we're a little prejudiced about, and people partake of around barbecue, and that's the uh, American cocktail, um, in, up to and including your authentic and original absinthe counter um, when it comes, uh, and I was, I was hoping you could talk a little bit of the other elements of the museum.
1: Well, you're, you're right. We definitely have, um, a very large absinthe corner there, uh, the Gallery d'Absinthe, And, um, we, uh, in addition to that, of course, we have a demonstration kitchen, which is a whole lot of fun. We have all kinds of wonderful kitchen tools that are out on our gadget counters where we let people play with the kitchen tools because we think that's an important thing to do and try and guess what they are, uh, which is fun. And in addition to that, we, we try to um, really tell the story of the food of New Orleans and Louisiana, perhaps with a little more depth than some of the other states since that's where we are located. So we have a, a, a lot of fun things about Mardi Gras and uh, St. Joseph's Altars and other things that are very New Orleans-based.
0: And I'm going to I'm gonna give you a, a little bit of a plug because this is something you've been talking about. We, we, we always talk about the French tradition or the African tradition in New Orleans cooking or we'll bring in in some of the Hispanic traditions with the Isleños, but the Italian traditions are so intrinsic to not only the experience of New Orleans cooking, but also it actually influences barbecue around the country. It influences this. And you've been talking about Creole Italians in your new book, um, uh, You're a prolific author yourself, Liz Williams, and you, you've got, you, you've been talking about that in your upcoming book.
1: Yes, this is a book that's going to be coming out in the beginning of 2021. Um, It's being published by LSU Press, and it's called Nana's Creole Italian Table. And it really is a memoir cookbook. So um, I'm really excited about um, it coming out. It tells the story in general of the Sicilians who came to New Orleans between about 1885 and 1915, and their influence on the food and culture of New Orleans.
0: Incredible. Liz Williams, if somebody wants to find out more about the Southern Food and Beverage Museum, where would they go?
1: Well, they can go to southernfood.org. And um, that's all they need to do. They'll find out a lot about the museum.
0: And you must check out the events and, of course, the live resources that are available online for those that live outside Louisiana. Um, Liz Williams, thank you so much for joining us on the Smoke and Mirror Movie podcast. Of course, your clip is online right now at smokeandmirrormovie.com. Byron's will be up very shortly. And uh, we're going to be trying to keep and tell the story of American barbecue, not just through these podcasts and the website, but our upcoming documentary, which we hope we can share with you at the museum and put it on there.
1: <laughs> uh, we'd love, we'd love to do that. Sounds, yes,
0: then good. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you. Bye bye. Okay.